1: This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, based in Los Angeles, California. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating.
2: Like, she's the fun one, and I'm the one who's like, hey, in a a couple weeks, we should probably be thinking about this. And she's like, I'm sorry. Like, she's really, it's one of the best things about her. She's absolutely... (laughs)
3: You make me sound like a maniac. No,
2: you're (laughs) you're very present, which I think is what makes her such a tremendous actor. I think it's so fun. I think
3: I'm so crazy lucky that, one, this is who I spend my whole life with and I get to work with. I love it so much that... Every morning I wake up, I'm kind of like, what are we going to do today? Like, it's exciting.
1: That's Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone, married and loving it. The couple is a font of comedic material, writing, producing, and acting in hit movies and TV series, all while being the parents of two daughters. I was curious to know if that required some special kind of communication skills. This is so great that you could be on the show. Thank you. I know how busy you are.
3: We are so beyond thrilled to, to get to talk to you and just and see your face. It's a, this is <laughs> This is the high point of my year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so nice. <laughs> you know what I want to know more about? You both are such a great team at so many things. Writing, making movies together, acting. I'm interested to know how you do it. For instance, how much of an influence improv is? on all those aspects of your lives? I would say pretty enormous, right? I, I would mean, say
3: in everything. I I, th- I think that, you know, I, th- I think people have a perception of improv sometimes being, you know, you just, anything goes and yes is no and up is down, but it's when you really use it, and we, we both went through the Groundlings uh, School in Los Angeles, and you really learn that you have to abide by the story and the rules of the world, but then to say something or do something spontaneous that fits into that world is really what improvising is. So you get the cameras in the right place and my mouth works and his mouth works and the <laughs> directing works, which is all a crapshoot. You
2: really
3: <laughs> truly get something spontaneous. And I think when the audience sees that, it's exciting.
2: And it's very, it is the essence of collaboration.
1: Yeah. That's so much what I hear from great musicians when we talk about how they prepare for a concert, and then when the time comes, they're so well prepared that then they can take off in directions they didn't expect to go. But always within the parameters.
3: Always. It's always always still on the roadmap, but it is kind of funny sometimes, Ben. I'll say, like, I, I prepare as if you know I get, my life depends on it or the whole world and then the day of I'm like I think I'm going to say something different and he's yeah. like but you're, the <laughs> we, way you're we rewrote for the him.
2: line 500 <laughs> times to get it exactly what you wanted to <laughs> once and she's like oh this is dead
1: wrong I'm like, or I say it once and
3: I think well we have that let yes. me get yeah, yeah, well, let's <laughs> try it. it let's try it
1: the way we wrote it
3: he <laughs> <laughs> does have to remind me of that sometimes I'm like oh yeah yeah yeah
1: <laughs> that's a good idea too <laughs> How far back does that go? You met in an improv class, right? Did sparks fly during an improv? <laughs>
3: <laughs> the fact that, we, you know, you, you are not presenting your most attractive self in a comedy troupe, an improvising troupe. You know, everyone's trying to be the weirdest, the most awful. So the fact that we both were, like, attracted to each other is kind of amazing.
1: I can picture your first day where she says, that's not who I thought you were at all. I want that other one.
3: I think he's still saying that. <laughs> but I, we sat next to each other the first day, and um, we found out we were, you know, coincidentally both from Illinois. And we just hit it off kind of from the very first second. Everyone was so loud and crazy, including myself. You know, you're in this class for the first time. You're, you're nervous, and you're pushing too hard. And then Ben got up there and was the quietest Calmest, and he made everybody lean forward to listen. Mm. It wasn't funny at all,
2: <laughs>
1: but it was weird. <laughs> well, that's the thing about preparing for improv. Sometimes the most fun, I think, is just because there's spontaneity, and that spontaneity makes you laugh rather than coming up with jokes. Yeah,
3: it's yes. not, I never think of it as jokes. Also, setting up Setting up the other person when you really have a team Mm. that works together. If your main job is listening to the other person instead of trying to prepare your line, because I think that never really works.
1: That's similar to the yes and dictum that most people are aware of that now. But are you able to do yes and when you're not in a scene? I mean, in a scene, it's sort of prescribed. Somebody says, look at that water down there. You don't say that's not water, that's the stage. Right. You say, yes, that's water. And let's dive into it and chase that turtle. Now, how can you apply it in real life?
3: It's certainly what I strive for. I think about, you know, we have two girls. And I think anytime you talk to them, I'm a bit of a fixer, or at least mm. not, only in my own head. Yeah. If wrong, I want to say, oh, why don't we do this? Where I know what I should try to be doing is, that's interesting. How do you like to just listen and kind of come up with a solution, but don't? You know, it's that yes and property that I wish I could put into my life a little bit more, which I really should, but...
1: You do great. I'm all right. (laughs) It's hard because you want to say yes the way you do in a scene, but when the kid says, I'm going to try marijuana tonight, yes is a little hard to come up with.
3: Yeah, it's not that that free-flowing. Or if there is a problem, you know, I... I am very quick to, you know, if somebody say someone wasn't nice to them at school. I yeah. You know, I want to immediately grab my car keys and back out of the driveway and be like, "I'll go over and talk to them." To them, which is not what you should do, but it's those are my, those are my quick instincts that I have to f- fight constantly.
1: So that's your yes, and the and is, and I'm not going to do it.
3: <laughs> yes, that's uh, Ben's my and. Ben is the and in all cases. <laughs>
1: How about when you write, do you pitch lines to each other? Do you improvise the scene?
2: Yes, uh, we do, I think. And then sometimes it depends, too. uh, Nobody types all the time. We sort of switch around who's typing. Mm. And then if someone feels like they have a good... You know, a, a lot of times you, what we're writing involves her character, who's the main person in the movie. So why would I be like, "No, you're not going to say it this way." i mean, going I've got it right there. She's like, "Oh, I think I'd say it like this." It's if like, you
3: get on a run. Like sometimes we know if one of them, one of us says, "I, I have it, I have it, I have it," and you can't yeah. talk it, you can't say it as fast. But I know if I can just type it, and he'll do the same thing be like, just hand me the keyboard because I have it. Then we'll just let the other one write for a while, and then we'll go back and discuss. Or
2: sometimes, if she's kind of playing the character for that moment, I'll just type as fast as I can because sometimes there's turns of phrase and stuff that are so specific that are almost impossible to remember if you don't get them down quick. So she's not the fastest typist, said with love. (laughs) So sometimes, (laughs) said said
1: with love, I love that.
2: I'll dictate, you know, she'll dictate some of the lines if she's gotten on a roll.
1: I read someplace or I saw an interview where you said you write in the car. You take the keyboard with you?
3: No, we were when we we wrote Tammy, our first movie that way, or when we would write sketches, you know, we didn't have we didn't have an office and we had t- two little kids at home. So sometimes we would drive around or we would even, sometimes even just drive down the block and sit on our block in our car because it was the one place we could kind of just be by ourselves and have a little quiet. And, you know, it was, it was in the early days. So we, that, was, that was kind of the, the way we did it.
2: Absolutely. And there would be times where it became sort of a habit for a while. And we would <laughs> stare at each other and say, how have we never gotten a notebook for this car?
1: <laughs> <laughs> there may be something about the car. I, my, Robert Ludlum, the novelist, was a friend of mine. And he used to, every day get in the car and go driving for a couple of hours. And he did keep a yellow pad next to him and a pen. Really? And he'd write down what he was thinking of. The driving may may give you some place to put your conscious mind so the unconscious can come up better. I don't know. I think
3: so. Also, you, agree you, you can't anticipate what you're going to see, who you're going to see, what that'll make you think
2: about. Well, there's something about it too, though. Like, we, you know, people say they have good ideas, like if they're running or if they're taking a shower or something. Mm. I do think there's something about being a little distracted that something underneath can kind of come out like, oh, that would be a fun way to go in the second act or whatever you're working on.
1: You know, you remind me when you say shower, <laughs> I was, I was writing something, a, a half-hour show with two other guys, and we were at my house, and we were stuck. We would, we would have that blank look on our faces where nothing is coming up. So I said, let's all jump in the swimming pool. So we, we jumped in the swimming pool, and the rule was you had to go underwater, but you couldn't come up until you could think of the next line.
2: It's a miracle
1: nobody died. Well, it would be it would be worth it even if somebody died because we we had a deadline, you know. Yeah.
3: (laughs) No, I mean I know you improvise and always have. Was that in all the things you did? Was it always an element, even with Mash?
1: No, as a matter of fact, Mash was. We were we were all from the theater where you have to stick to every word as written, and we had Larry Gelbart doing the final polish on everything. So. There was no incentive to improvise. But I kept saying, if we did one show where we improvised, we'd get some really good stuff. So finally, they came up with an idea where an interviewer was interviewing us that was a fake documentary. So we had been given questions, and we answered those questions into a tape recorder. So we sort of improvised it to start with. Then Larry Gelbart punched it up. And then we gave those answers, but sometimes the interviewer would ask us things on camera that we hadn't heard before. So some of it really was spot improvisation. Oh, that's that's great. And we got some really good stuff.
3: I think when someone really inhabits a character, there's just sometimes, there's a point of view or, like Ben said earlier, a turn of phrase that just can really come from the actor based on the great writing of the writer who, you Hmm. know, whoever created it. But it is such a great pairing. I think even when we, you know, we love all the actors we hire, but we always say, it's yours now. And if something doesn't feel right, feel free to change it or feel free to ask us to change it. But, you know, you've stepped in, you're driving now, so we, we want you to bring everything you can to it. And I don't think we've ever regretted that. No.
1: What about when you're directing each other? Have you ever directed Ben Melissa,
3: yeah, quite a bit. Um, and for certain scenes, if like he's he's doing something and I'm not in it, I'll I'll sit in yes. and, and direct that. But we've worked together for so long, I think as one starts to go, the other goes with it, and vice versa. We can kind of, you know, with a lot, we work with a lot of the same people, luckily sometimes, and there you you know you get that you get that unspoken ability to just if
2: someone goes somewhere, you go with them. And I, I love that ride. Yeah. And if you, you kind of know if it's okay, even if you're like, I don't give myself big parts in uh, movies that we do. uh, uh, I I hate it. (laughs) I really do. I, I, it's hard. I don't know because you directed a movie that I love the four seasons where you're in. Oh, thank you. Oh, I love love that movie. Love, love, And, and to me, I, I just am always so, uh, I just think it's such an amazing thing when an actor can direct, do such a great job directing, and then you were so funny. You know, the thing when you're, like, so mad at her and you, you do not raise your voice, I'm enraged. Like, all that <laughs> stuff is so good, but then I'm thinking, like, boy, he's worried about the cameras and where everybody is. Like, for me, it, it doesn't work, so that's why I try to give myself just, like, a half a day's work.
1: There have actually been times when I've directed, and it's been hard for the other actors to accept that this fellow actor is officially the director. Uh, Do you have that problem? Have I?
2: I don't think so. Maybe it's because she's there too. And then it's just like, uh, well, there's two of them.
0: (laughs) 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 They, They both seem equally crazy. So I guess we'll
2: just go with it.
1: Getting thoughts or getting advice from someone else who's in the job with you or in the marriage with you, it sounds like it takes some adjusting. I mean, a lot of people, from what I've read, a lot of people fight seriously over how to stack the dishes in the dishwasher and how much more difficult it must be to talk about how you do a performance.
3: For whatever reason, I mean, maybe it's we're lucky because we met that way and we became uh, friends because we enjoyed working together so much and we enjoyed writing before we were even dating or you know, and now obviously married and and so forth. But it just always clicked. I think we always loved the process and we never fought about it. And I I guess I always, I think we both think that if he really doesn't like something, to me, that's a red flag and vice Mm. versa. Or if he wants blue and I want red, who cares? Do we both like purple? I think we're always, I think that's also the part of doing so much live theater. You just, you bomb you bomb so many times that I think you just can't be that precious with it, and you you just grow to be like, all right, we'll just try it a different way.
1: That's what w- one of the things that I think improv does for your life. I, I don't know about you, but my whole life has been in improv. I don't plan ahead. I take what's in front of me and I make something out of it. Maybe I'm crazy, dude. Do I don't I don't have a plan. Do you have a plan? McCarthy
2: has no plan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like she's the fun one and i'm the one who's like hey in a a couple weeks we should probably be thinking about this and she's like i'm sorry like she's really it's one of the best things about her she's absolutely
3: (laughs) you make me sound like a maniac
2: you're very you're very present which i think uh i try to do even more but i try to be present but she's very present which i think is what makes her such a tremendous actor and i but then I'm the boring person who's like, okay, so we do start prep in two weeks. We do need a script.
3: <laughs> okay, that's great. We also we have to do the budget. We have to do. The, I mean, I, I I tend to I I go along with everything, and but it's not the natural way that my brain works. I kind of pinball
2: around, and well, you and, always say uh, you're like a shark. She's got to keep moving, and it's funny because she she does. She moves around all day a million uh you know so much energy and then when we were first dating and first married she would almost do like like a like a child like right before bed like a lot of activity and then just out (laughs) (laughs) no there was no like downshift into oh maybe i'll read or something she would just kind of like pass out every day at like 10
1: (laughs) it must be exhausting to be present all the time
3: (laughs) i think it's so fun I don't know, I I think I'm so crazy lucky that, one, this is who I spend my whole life with and I get to work with. I'm doing what I love doing and I, you know, I'm from a small farm town in Illinois. The odds of being like, you wanna grow up and be an actress is just, that's, I might as well have said like, I'm gonna grow up and be a lollipop. I mean, it's just crazy. And so to get to do all of that. I think we wake up every day, and I know every time we start a new project or drive on a lot, we're like, "Can you believe we're doing this?" Mm-hmm. Like it's. St- I still have to. I really do. I pinch myself every time. I love it so much that every morning I wake up, I'm kind of like, "What's? What are we gonna do today?" Like it's exciting.
1: When we come back from our break, Melissa McCarthy talks about floating in space while playing the villain Ursula in her upcoming movie, a live-action version of The Little Mermaid. And Ben Falcone talks about lessons he's learned from being a father, lessons he passes on in his book, Being a Dad is Weird. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. The Foundation's mission is to stimulate scientific research in astrophysics, theoretical physics, nanoscience, and neuroscience, to strengthen the relationship between science and society, and to honor scientific discoveries with the Kavli Prize.
0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.
1: This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone. I was wondering how Melissa got her start in show business. How did you start? How did you get from your, your parents grew corn and soybeans?
3: Yeah, we lived on the farm. My dad worked for the Belt Railway downtown Chicago, so he, he wasn't even a farmer. He just didn't want to raise his kids in Chicago, so moved us out to a farm. And uh, I, I ended up going to New York I thought I was just going to do fashion. I wanted to make clothing. It's what I'd always been interested in. And the, you know, I the second night in New York, my fr- uh, one of my good friends from high school that was living there said, "You're going to go do stand up tomorrow night at Stand Up New York." And, and being 20 and probably a bit of an idiot, and I went, "All right." Huh. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't know to write anything. I just got up there and talked and talked about things and I loved it, and I called my parents. I said, "I'm not going to go. Fi- I'm not going fi- to. I'm not going to finish college. I'm, I'm going to start doing stand up." And for some insane reason, they went, "Okay."
1: <laughs> yes, and <laughs> yes, and. yeah. Your parents are great. They yes, yes and
3: me. And I was like, years later, I said, "What the hell were you thinking?"
1: <laughs> that's some you, child you did-
3: abuse. Yes, <laughs> you didn't say same- that's crazy. And my mom said, "Well, fashion seemed unreliable." I said, you thought, stand-up comedy was like was was solid. I just couldn't I, I I'll never get over it. My parents are wonderful, smart people, but she's like, fashion seemed questionable.
1: Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And you wound up doing fashion anyway, right? You have a I'm, line of clothing.
3: I did. I I lo- you know, my grandmother was a seamstress, and I think I, I just used to watch her make things and I I thought it was magic, and I loved how you could put something on and change—I mean, maybe it's why I love characters. I—I've always loved putting something on, and you can completely change mm. your your how you feel, how people perceive you. It just seemed like such a great magic trick. And I was—I absolutely loved it. I did a clothing line for a while. I hoped to to do another one at some point because I really—I was—I was just crazy about doing it.
1: what Would you think as you would design something, would you design something that you would want to wear? Or do you have an imaginary customer?
3: I think for, I would try to not just do me, but I would always, like I was the guinea pig. I would always wear everything mm. and make sure, you know, is it still comfortable? Is this good? Where does it hit people? What are, what's a trick that we can do that it fits someone my height and someone 5'9". And I part of the fun and the kind of jigsaw puzzle of it was to try to make clothes that fit a, a, ra- a range of women. Because I really wanted women to feel good about themselves, so that was always the fun. I wanted to be like, you know, if you can adjust this part, or if you can, there's a hidden button that you can pull it in or let it mm. out, and that was that was always uh, really fun. But yeah, I would we would I would pick a theme. We would kind I would kind of write a story. Oh, like if there were three seasons in a in a collection, I'd say they meet. Second one is they fall in love, and third is the wedding, and. And then I would plan the colors and, and kind of, you know, I, there was a story in my head, even if no one else knew it.
1: That's really interesting. I'm always hearing how story is the way to communicate. I just didn't imagine I'd hear about story in in designing fashion.
3: Yeah, it kind of always just happened, even with prints. Or we did it like one. I I just said, oh, I wanted to travel more, and thought about people traveling, and so we picked three different countries, and the three different mm-hmm. collections were all different countries, and. It just was such a fun way to, to broaden your horizons, I think, or to think outside the box of, of my outside of my own box.
1: I'm wondering about your next movie that I don't know much about, but, but it's it's a live action version of The Little Mermaid. Yeah. And you're playing Ursula? I am yeah, I'm Ursula. She's the one who steals the voice of the mermaid, right?
3: I'm the villain. It was, was deliciously fun to do.
1: Isn't it fun to play a villain? I love it. It's the best.
3: Just it's you can just really dig your teeth into it. And Rob Marshall, the our fantastic director, just built such a incredible world. I've never truly seen anything like it. Just the care and the lighting, and how much how much time we had. The, such a luxury of of time and space and. Uh, incredible people working on it.
1: Now, there's something I don't understand. This is live action. Yeah. And you're under the ocean. So does that mean when you sing, bubbles come out of your mouth?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I haven't seen the final product.
1: Oh, they might put them in.
3: We were always on these, you were on these incredible rigs that they had just built for this movie. And there were usually about seven people. So you were floating almost like a cherry picker, but... You were standing on something the size of, I don't know, like a platter. So you were kind of in one place. One person would kind of always just keep you slightly going up and down. Oh,
1: to give the impression of being in water, moving.
3: It's this ever-floating, undulating look that I have to say, I was like, it looks like we're floating. It really
1: does. It's so interesting. It's almost like becoming a puppet in the hands of the... The puppeteers.
3: It really was. Yeah, and I've never done anything like that, where I wasn't kind of the one in control, but it really did allow me to just concentrate on on the part and the scene and the acting, because I didn't... You know, it, it slightly reminded me, we worked with Susan Sarandon once, who we love, and she, in uh, Tammy, she, she had diabetes, right? Or yeah and she and her you know she was always struggling the character struggling with her feet and susan would put peppercorns in her shoes mm. because she said i don't want to have to think about how i'm walking i just want it to i just want to not be able to walk right she goes so i want it to to be different every time and i don't want to have to pretend
2: and when she was mm. really uh drunk in the movie she would, uh, bef- right before a take, she would maybe spin around four or five times. More than that. Yeah, or 10 she times. Would spin like a and top. S- so <laughs> she didn't want to have to think about feeling woozy, so she just made herself a little woozy for the take.
3: And it did look, I mean, she would always say, I'm not good enough to to act it, which we all know is not true. And she's like, I don't have to, to pretend it or She's fake like, I can work
2: it. on the rest of it. I don't want to have to work on that.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, the, le- the less acting you have to do, the better.
3: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah,
1: because sometimes it shows. What about you, Ben? The uh, the villain thing. Have you played a villainous person?
2: Uh, you know, I I don't. Th- my character in Can You Ever Forgive Me wasn't super nice. No, right? it was not. He was not a nice. No, fellow. you were a grifter. Yeah, a blackmailer. Um, so I've I played. You know, but I I mostly since we since we started doing Tammy, I've mostly spent time directing and writing, which has been fantastic. So I I wonder if in in a new phase, you know, I'll start acting more. And if so, I would love to play villains. He's
3: strangely a great jerk. He can be really like smarmy and a jerk, which is so ironic because he's not. But boy, can he play it.
1: Your book, Ben, about parenting. What have you learned about parenting since you've become a parent yourself?
2: Wow. Um i've learned that there's always something more to learn Hmm. uh i've learned that the ages of kids are very very different you know talking to your 15 year old is different than talking to your two year old of course but basically my thing that i try to stick by is sort of what my mom and dad did which was like you know show up you know Hmm. and be there as much as you can um You know, because we work a lot and we do stuff. But I mean, you know, in your history, like I I read, I read your book a while ago. But you would go back and forth from LA to where Connecticut or somewhere. New Jersey. New Jersey. That's a heck of a every weekend. Like that, that that kind of commitment to me is is just sort of like the the idea of just you know show up, be there, be loving, and and do your best. And I think you're, I think you're gonna be all right.
1: How did that differ from the way you were brought up?
2: I, I, the way that I parent, I probably have more guilt than maybe my parents did. You know, I think my parents were just like, well, this is how it is. You, this is what we're doing. <laughs> you know, like we didn't have, you know, a ton growing up. My mom was a social worker. My dad was uh, unemployed for quite a bit. And then he was a teacher. So, you know, we we had that sort of middle class thing where if something, you this was the best it was going to be. <laughs> we're doing our best, you know. This is
1: it now. But we,
2: but we had a ton of fun and you were surrounded by family and friends. So that's kind of the same vibe that I uh, try to engender with our kids, you know, have friends and family around and just a fun house for them to grow up in.
1: When you were talking about how every age is different, our oldest grandson just got married and we spent a lovely week with our children getting ready for that. And I remembered when my oldest daughter was, uh, when our oldest daughter was six, I was down in the basement with her, pleading with her to pick up her stuff. And she, and she was saying, I don't have to. And I was saying, yeah, you do have to, You please pick your stuff up. No, I don't have to, and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> So finally, I solved it by calling upstairs. Arlene, will you come down and tell her I'm the boss?
3: <laughs> did Arlene come down?
1: I think she did. I, <laughs> but that was wonderful. the only way I could handle it. <laughs> that's wonderful.
3: Sometimes, like when they're little, like that, they just their world is what they've conjured, and you can't you can't change their mind. Mo- like when they're like, "Nope, that's the way it is." <laughs> <laughs> that's right. how can something so little be so mighty, but they are?
1: Yeah, it's wonderful, because then you see that strength start to show up in different ways as they get to be adults. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful thing. You must have the same thing when you pass a baby in the street or on an airplane, just stop and glory in it.
3: It's, I miss, I always said, you know, people sometimes are like, oh, what would your superpower be? And other than you know, fixing the world and making everyone nicer, if I could have just a good selfish one. I always wanted the superpower where for 15 minutes a day, I could have anybody at any age. So I could go have lunch with my grandma at 20. I could have my daughter at six months one day and three, three years old another day and see my dad at 15. And I guess a weird thing I think about, but I think about that a lot. Like what were they what are people like or what am I, am I forgetting any of the things about the girls when they were really little? I try to, you know, keep, keep those memories in my head.
1: We're sort of running out of time and we always end every show with seven quick questions, but I left them in my suitcase downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) Can can you chat with Graham for a minute while I get, get, (laughs) this is really an improv. Oh, it's wonderful. Love it. (laughs) Be right back. OK, Okay. here's <laughs> here's the latest on the seven questions. I must have left them in California. <laughs> now, I've only done this 225 times, but I don't know if I can remember the questions. I'll tell you the ones I can remember. And Graham can coach me on the rest. You got them? OK. Okay, first question. First question, All right? That I can remember. What do you wish you really understood?
3: Ugh, why why people seem so why people are so
1: angry? How about you, Ben?
2: Uh, I think I'm going to go in a similar direction. What I wish I understood what made people who seem unhappy tick, and if there was a way to help.
1: What's next, Grim? Ah uh, yeah, how do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? Oh, S- straight uh, just right away, <laughs> <laughs> nicely.
3: But uh, yeah, I think you get right to the point that, that you know what you're what you're saying is doesn't seem to be accurate. Let's discuss.
1: <laughs> yeah, Dan.
2: very. Uh, I'm I'm calm, but I'm uh, pretty robotic that way. So if something's just you know, uh, crazy seeming or in not truthful. I'm like, well, that seems wrong.
1: Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you?
3: Oh, I know it. I don't think I want to say it.
1: <laughs> she, she's whispering in yeah. Ben's ear. Yeah, I think it's. A, oh,
3: this is not it's my. True. Because it's true. And for about a year, I, I got it repeatedly. Oh. Regarding bridesmaids, somebody said, did you really. Oh. Go in the yeah. sink, and I said, "It's a, it's a movie, darling." I did not.
1: Oh my God, what, that is a strange question.
3: It sure was, <laughs> it sure was, and I hate to bring it up because if it starts getting asked again, I'll cry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't blame you. So, was that the question you've been asked, Ben? What's your question?
2: Um, I'm sure it was something from the girls. Oh, They're so wonderfully strange. Statement. What's that? <laughs> So oh yeah, um, <laughs> I, I was. I don't know if it's a question, it's more of a statement. But my daughter used to commonly say, "Don't worry, Dad. If a burglar comes in, I'll kick him in the peanut." <laughs> and then it would be like, "Cause you? Do you have do a peanut?" You, and then then lots of questions about, "Do you have a peanut?" And these sort of things, and you know, it was a series of
1: questions, series of strange questions right.
3: yeah. involving the peanut.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Graham. What's the next one? Yeah, that's a good one. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Well, uh, I could
2: start because I, I gained a power that I got from my mom and my oldest daughter has it as well, which is in a situation like that, I can disappear. It's sort of a weird thing where all of a sudden, if it's something that's just too much of something, everyone just looks around and go, hey, where did Ben go? And I'm just kind of gone. My mom it's was like able he to can do it. Fade. I fade away. Vivian, our daughter, Vivian, can do it if it's too much talking or stimulation or something. She's like, huh. and she's like, later she's like, yeah, I just disappeared.
1: I got to learn that. How about you, Melissa? It's
3: sister? amazing, except when it's used on you, and then you're like,
2: hey,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> to they you.
3: Both do it to me. I'm like, I'm pretty chatty, so I can I can chat with people. But then at a certain point, I do the oh, I okay. You know what? I I'm okay. I, I'm coming. I'm coming. And I just pretend uh, someone's called me from across the room or I've forgotten something or I can just, I just kind of mutter, mutter, mutter until I I can run away.
1: (laughs) Let's say you're sitting at a dinner table next to someone you don't know. How do you start up a real genuine conversation?
3: I mean, I think you get a feel for someone if you can. And I really, I really love to, I, I like at a dinner party when you're you're next to someone you don't know, especially if you get a good feeling about them and hopefully if you're at a friend's house, they're all nice. Um, I kind of love where a random conversation can go mm. and I don't try to kind of keep keep track on all the conversations going in. I kind of like to just have a nice unexpected chat with somebody next to me.
2: I usually start with uh mm-hmm. something that's just pretty basic like hey we're we're both drinking wine, huh <laughs> <laughs> Just find the a <laughs> Hey, chicken, chicken paillard, right?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's fish. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, this is a good one. What, what, what gives you confidence?
3: In, in meaning, in my, in ourselves.
1: Yeah, well, let's say, however you think of it.
3: Interpreted that. It's like a two-part. Confidence in the world is because I, I see how sweet and kind my kids are. And I think as mucked up as the world seems, I I, I know there's other wonderful kids out there that are going to make it better. And in myself, I think when I feel confident, I think I'm a cockeyed optimist. And I really do, even though I constantly get proven wrong, I do start each situation with like, this is going to be great. Even if it takes a nosedive, I I really do start each day. I think thinking today's going to be amazing.
1: Hmm. How about you, Ben?
2: I'll let you know when I get some. <laughs> 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 I'm still working on it.
1: <laughs> okay, last question: What book changed your life? Uh, for me, it would be the the
2: all the Lord of the Rings books. As a kid, I just read them over and over again, and. Uh just the fact that there was another world you could go to, I just, I couldn't believe that somebody could map it out that well. And, you know, obviously it's become movies in this whole universe now. But as a kid, I would just, over the summer, I would just read them over and over again.
3: I, in my memory the, the, of Mice and Men, it hit me so hard of how emotional I was. And I think it was the first time you know, at that age that I read something that just left me shattered. And I hadn't thought about reading something and having that much emotion tied into it. And I think it changed, you know, my whole concept of reading and and the worlds you can go to. I just remember being just destroyed. And I thought, you can't end a book like that. Like, you can't do that. It changed the rules. And uh, I think it's why I, I enjoy reading.
1: Well, this has been such a wonderful visit with you both. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy
3: to talk to you, really.
1: Well, I hope I get to see you in in three dimensions before too long. I do too. I would love that. I'll
3: cross my fingers.
1: This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the Kavli Foundation for sponsoring this episode. The Codley Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone have acted together in many movies, including Bridesmaids, Tammy, and Can You Ever Forgive Me? Ben also co-wrote, produced, and directed Tammy, as well as four other movies starring Melissa, The Boss, Life of the Party, Superintelligence, Intelligence, and Thunder Force. Melissa's well, new movie, The Little Mermaid, is due for release in May 2023. Ben's book on parenting is called Being a Dad is Weird, Lessons in Fatherhood from My Family to Yours. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Chedd, with help from our associate producer, Gene Chamey. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. Our researcher is Elizabeth O'Heaney. And the sound engineer is Erica Huang. The music is courtesy of the Stefan Koenig Trio. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Kate Klonick. She has an inside view of how Facebook has struggled with moderating content, which is basically looking for ways to keep out hate speech and other harmful craziness. And that gives her a unique perspective on the chaos Elon Musk has unleashed with his takeover of Twitter.
0: There is a way in which Mark Zuckerberg is definitely a dictator in the same way that but a different type of dictator than Elon Musk is. And he certainly looks like a benevolent dictator next to to kind of Elon Musk and like how he's been ruling Twitter. He doesn't seem to really care about this as much as he seems to care about going to Mars or building spaceships. So I think this is just some distraction for him for the time being. And then I think he will hopefully move on and hires a real CEO to, to run things.
1: Kate Klonick and the future of Twitter